Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. This, uh, this morning, and actually for the last couple of weeks, I've had a growing sense of purpose in this message And in some respects, I have never anticipated sharing a message with you as much as I have this message. And it's not because it's some in-depth Bible teaching, even though there's going to be some really, I think, some profound truths that we're going to listen to. But let me start out with a story about me as a kid. When I was a little boy, I, um, we had in the little Methodist church that I grew up in, there was this tight knit little community of five or six families that we all hung out together. Not unlike some of you guys do. And, uh, a lot of them were, were, I was the youngest of all these preteens and some of them were actually teenagers. And I was like, five or six, and I wanted to hang out with them. And they used to play puzzle. They used to make puzzles, especially when it was raining and dark and cold. (laughs) And so um, the first time I ever played with a puzzle, I saw what they were doing, and I was fascinated by the way they were putting the pieces together. And it would be like a 300 piece puzzle. And, and I, I started noticing how they put everything together. And it was like, wow, I get what they're doing. And I noticed that, okay, so there's all those blue pieces are probably, what is that? Was it a blue shirt? Well, it turns out I didn't know it at the time. It was a blue sky, but I didn't know it was a blue sky. I just knew that the blue pieces were fitting together. And then you'd see some trees, and then you'd see some other... And, I, and then it was amazing to me how good all these older kids were at putting this puzzle together. And then somebody, and I don't remember who, maybe it was my older sister, pulled out the top of the box. And all of a sudden, I now understood why they were so smart. And I was so dumb. They saw the whole picture. Oh, Steve, we didn't tell you that part. I I started getting the little pieces, and I started knowing how to put them together. But I really wasn't thinking about the big picture. And so what I want to talk to you today about is the big picture. Now, over this whole past year and a half, we have been talking about our D cycle. The five D's of being a devoted disciple of Jesus. And really this fall, and really starting since late summer, we've we've been talking about developed a kingdom Developing a kingdom worldview. And I'll tell you what, I think we've got some preachers in the house. <laughs> Amen. Anointing. 
I love it. I love it. Um, they didn't even need a mic. Um, eternal suffering, eternal reward, spiritual gifts, callings and vocations, servant leadership. Well, the way we approach this this fall is the Lord spoke early this fall and just laid it on my heart that we were to really discuss a life of pilgrimage because that we are on a journey. Now, not to be confused with the life of pilgrimage, this is the process of how you get the journey done. But it's not the journey. And so today my subject is, and we're just going to introduce it, and then we're going to unpack it probably for several weeks. But the, what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks are what I'm calling the landmarks of the journey. The key landmarks of this journey. This is, the, this is like, any of you have ever been backpacking? Anybody in here ever been backpacking? Do you know half the fun of backpacking is just getting a gear together? The process, oh yes, you got to have the compass. Oh, that's too much food, not enough food. Uh, sleeping bag, which one do I have? What's the weather going to look like? Uh, oh, is it raining or is it not? Do I need to carry on? Which tent? Oh, that's half the fun of backpacking, right? It's the process of getting ready to go on the, the trip. And most people make the mistake of not understanding the process the very first time and their co-wit miserable and their feet hurt because they didn't get the right gear. That's why REI is, in, 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 is so successful. It's frustrated backpackers. Okay. That's the process, but it's not the journey. It's just the process. So it too is a cyclical thing. It's kind of like the seasons of the year. They're a cycle. You know, it's, it's interesting. God kind of does these cycle things. He had the annual calendar of Israel, and there were various feasts, and, and one of them was the Passover. Uh, the, actually, the, unleavened, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was the Passover. And then there was the Feast of First Fruits, and then there was the Feast of Last Fruits, or the Feast of Pentecost. All of these various feasts were on a cyclical nature. So God's into that, and he, it's a clue, but this journey we have is not exactly cyclical, but I'm going to try to express it as cyclical. But I want us all to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I'm reading from the New King James. Verse 2. It is a... And this is, this is one of the most profound scriptures in all the Bible, and it'll probably be lost on you at first. It's 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them and some of you are going I've already gotten lost I hated geography but this is important geography because what is it about landmarks well what are some of the landmarks in the United States 
If I were to give you a puzzle, and it, it was a puzzle that was not proportional, but it had some of the most famous landmarks of North America, what would be some of the landmarks we see? Mount Rushmore is one of the very, that's the one everybody comes up with. What's Grand Canyon, Statue of Liberty, Washington Monument, Empire State Building, Blue Ridge Mountains. Got to say it. So, huh? Uh, the Plains, the Great Plains, the Mississippi River. I mean, these are landmarks that, that the puzzle might show. And so what I want to do today is I want to introduce the idea of specific landmarks. And because we're a disciple-making movement, I decided that the landmarks are going to follow the word disciple. Now, let me just confess here. This is not original with me at all. The, the, the word disciple is, but the concept here, actually a, prof, a couple of different professors, one at Asbury Seminary, one at Fuller Seminary over the last about 30, 40 years ago, began to introduce these concepts. But they're really reintroductions of stuff that, that is ancient in terms of the faith. And part of the reason that I really want to emphasize this today is the tragedy that we just read about, but you didn't quite catch in these verses. I'm going to read it again. It's 11 days journey from Mount Horeb, which is where they got the Ten Commandments. Same thing as Mount Sinai. By way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, which is the the other side of the river Jordan, which is where Joshua took the children of Israel through into the promised land 40 years later. Are you getting this juxtaposition here? The understated elegance of the writer here? What he's saying is this. What was to be an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year wilderness. And one of the most tragic things that happen in the lives of so many of God's people is they get stuck. And they never get unstuck. And in fact, I would argue, and I think I'm going to make a case, that most of the body of Christ almost universally has not gotten past a few of the key places geographically that they are the landmarks that they have as part of their inheritance but they never get there and what I want us to do as a people in this location is to have the lowest number percentage that fail to get there in this city. I, I don't want us to, and, and let me just tell you, what that'll do is make us the most humble people in the earth, not the most self-righteous. So let me throw up for you my landmarks that I came up with, with the acronym DISCIPLE. Because what I want to do is I, you got that? 
the first slide that we're going to look at, and I've got, this is kind of the whole deal. And I don't, I don't know if you notice it, but you, there's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E, disciple. And the first one starts out with becoming a devoted follower of Jesus. Getting saved, meeting the Lord. This, we call it, in, our, in the D cycle, it's the part where we talk about decided and delivered. Kind of those two bundled together. Those are the processes, but they're the processes of how you get to that first landmark. It is an incredibly important landmark. In some respects, the Passover res- reflects that landmark. That is where we are redeemed from the angel of death into the angel of life. Can I just tell you, that is absolutely essential. It's important. It is, it is eternity. Every human being rests on their eternity, rests on that. And in fact, whole movements and denominations and churches, that's really all they ever talk about. How to become a follower of Jesus so they can be saved. We talk about that a lot here. Can I just say that's the first landmark and that's, that's you just gotten started, folks. This is not the end. This is the beginning. Let's keep going. Then there's the identity and foundations. I, D-I. Well, what does that mean? Well, you were once children of darkness, but now you are children of light. Let's, I, I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 5. And I can't remember which translation. I'm going to throw that up there. Hebrews chapter 5. Okay, ESV. I'll read it. I don't have the ESV about this. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. <laughs> you know, I, sometimes the biblical writers didn't know anything about sensitivity, did they? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle God, of oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Okay, the next verse is Hebrews 6 1. I don't do you have that one up, guys? And of instruction. Okay, well, uh, okay, we missed a little bit of verse one. Basically, let me, let me say, not laying again a foundation of the elementary principles of faith, but, okay, the, the foundational elementary, elementary, how many of you went to elementary school? Isn't that what they still call it, elementary school? The elementary is the first thing. It's the, it's the primary school. It's what we first learn. And those foundations are 
college students, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, washings or baptisms. Come on. Eternal, eternal judgment and resurrection of the dead. Oh, and laying on of hands. That, that really elementary doctrine of laying on of hands. Tell you what, we don't have it up there, but I'm going to read it again. So it, it's obvious. Oh, we got it. And instructions about washing. We've, we missed the first part of it. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Notice that. For it is impossible in the case of those who've once been enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. And it goes on and sounds real ominous. But what basically the writer is saying is God is not going to let you. He's not going to permit you to go to your promised land until you learn the lessons in your first landmark that you're supposed to learn. Now. This is kind of a heavy word, but I don't want it to end up being a heavy word because this is actually an invitation to an adventure. It's not an invitation to just a challenge. It is an invitation to adventure. But I can't tell you how many people I have seen in my life that started well, but God evidently did not permit them to go on. For any number of reasons, and we're going to examine a lot of those reasons over the next several weeks. But the most important thing I want you to understand is that's just, that's just step one and step two. And we haven't, and for a, this is just a little, my own children know this and some of the people that I've spent a lot of time discipling. If you don't know if Hebrews chapter six, verses one through three, then you are still an infant. You are a spiritual infant. How many of you knew that an elementary doctrine of the church was the laying on of hands? I, I wouldn't have put that on the list if I was the systematic theologian, and most, as a matter of fact, don't. But they don't get to trump Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. And evidently, the doctrine of laying on of hands is incredibly important, which, by the way, has a lot to do with praying for the sick. So we're, let's go back up and look at my, my land, key landmarks of this journey, of this pilgrimage. The third one... is service and ministry. <clears throat> D-I-S, service and ministry. This is the place where you begin to experience your own calling, your own assignment, your own anointing, your own gifting. You begin to get really excited because God uses you. How many of you know that if, people, if humans use you, you feel used? But when God uses you, it is invigorating, it is exciting, it is wow. I'm kind of amazing when God puts on the, you know, turbochargers. And all of us have experienced this. You, you maybe are in a counseling session with somebody and, 
they're just receiving all this stuff from you and it's stuff you've never even thought of in one time in your life. And you go, where did that come from? And it's the Holy Spirit inside of you because he wants to minister to them more than you do. And he's just looking for a willing, able vessel. And you feel his flooding filling and you just go, wow, I could get addicted to being in ministry. And you're up there worshiping and you're up there and you're playing. You're a pretty decent guitar player, but now all of a sudden it's better than normal. Or at least it sounds like it to you and your voice. Become, all of these things begin to happen and we feel being used by God. And when we get used by God, we don't feel used. And we feel invigorated and we begin to realize that we can make a difference in people's lives. And we want to serve them and we want to do things that help people. Do you know how few people in the body of Christ actually ever get there? This, my goal in this church is that you will be worn out by God using you. Not in the best sense. That you'll just say, Lord, I, I love how you're using me and I want to be used by you. I want you to demonstrate the life of Jesus through my life. And we're going to unpack each one of these a little more, but I'm just kind of giving you, I want you to look at the picture on the front of the puzzle. That's what we're doing today. We're just looking at the picture at the front of the puzzle. Okay. All right. Well, then we hit C, right smack dab in the middle, C, crisis. And, I call, and we call it the wall, and I'm borrowing that term from someone else. When I saw this, I was like, this has been what I've been looking for for so long. By the way, the wall, by the way, is not a landmark. It ain't a landmark. It's a crisis. And a crisis is not a landmark. It's an event. But here's the really important thing to get. The Chinese word for crisis combines chaos with opportunity. I don't know, those of you that were here the last few weeks, Ben did an amazing job to talk about the tests of the Lord. Who created the crisis for the children of Israel when he took them to Meribah and they were out of water? Who created that? Was it Moses? The Lord. The Lord created the crisis. Why did he create the crisis? Last two Sundays? To test them. Why did he test them? So he could promote them. Why does he want to promote them? Because he wants to demonstrate his personhood through his people. It's, it's real simple. 
If you could just remember that little phrase right there that I just finished. You will be well advanced in dealing with everything that comes your way. There, now, a, a test of the Lord is not necessarily the wall. Here's what the wall is. The wall is when God that you've been being used by, the Lord that you've been learning all these great truths and doctrines about, the God that you're now in awe of that saved you, feels like he's a million miles away and you feel like a cucumber. You feel about as energetic as Eeyore. You have no sense of God's presence and you actually are beginning maybe to doubt or you're having a lot of questions or you're beginning to get mad and angry and on the inside of you nothing seems right and it almost seems like it's worse than when you first met Jesus. Did anybody tell you that that is probably going to happen? Well, I'm here to tell you as your loving pastor that every single one of you are going to hit the wall sometime in your life, probably two or three times. And what precipitates the wall is often a crisis that maybe has to do with your physical health. It may have to do with a real tragedy in your family. It may have to do with a, a major loss, some point of grief that you can't get over. It may have to do with the fact that a, someone betrays you. It may have to do with the fact that someone you were very, very close to dies unexpectedly. And all of a sudden, the why questions start coming up. Why, why, why? I've said this before. I'm going to say this again. This is a little tool to help you on the road, on your pilgrimage. Only ask the why question when you're really doing well. Don't ask the why question when it's, things are bad. Let me tell you the questions you need to ask the Lord when things are going very, very bad. The Apostle Peter preached to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And he told them, you crucified Jesus. You crucified your own Messiah. That was a, they were hitting a wall that day. The Holy Spirit was convicting all those Jews that were listening to his voice. And they were grief-stricken. And they asked the right question of Peter. And they said, what does this mean and what must we do? Let's all re re repeat after me. What does this mean and what must we do? What does this mean, come on, and what must we do? Do you have pencils on you? I know there's ink pens in the... I want you to write this in your Bible jacket. Say, so Steve said, when I'm really in trouble, ask, what does this mean and what must I do? Now, that's the right question to ask of God, not why.
This wall is about the deepest surrender that you didn't know you still had to make. This wall is your opportunity to pass into a, a, a lifestyle of the Spirit that very, very, very few believers have ever entered into. Now, the irony of this, this has nothing to do with knowledge. The irony of this is this doesn't have anything to do with great spiritual doctrinal grasp. This, this in some respects, is incredible theology that you don't even have to understand to walk in it. But I'm trying to help you understand maybe that's the Grand Canyon right there. And you can die there, and that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. In, in Numbers 21, I believe it is, it says, they said to Moses, they were complaining, and they, were, they said, we loathe this bread. Now, you know what bread they were talking about? The manna. Jesus said, I am the manna that came down from heaven. The parable of the soil, the parable of the soils, it says that some of the, the seeds sprung up, but there was persecution of the word. Well, I think it's Mark that talks about it like that. It's like the word of God actually begins to persecute you because he's wanting to bring you from a state of being redeemed to becoming a state like him. And that transition is incredibly painful. And he usually allows something to happen in your life that is a crisis. And he's looking for you to how you will handle it. And will you say, I loathe this, this bread and reject it? It says, and they complained 10 times. The Lord said, what am I going to do with these people, Moses? They have complained to me these 10 times. I just want to just say one thing. It's okay to complain to the Lord. You won't do that very long. You just won't. The problem is when you start complaining to everybody else. And that is what a lot of us do. And we call it, I'm just processing out loud. <laughs> no, you're just complaining. You are just... I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. This, this wall can't be gone around. You can't negotiate with it. You can't manipulate it. You can't control it. You can't rebuke it. You can only go through it. And the way you go through it is surrendering it. And then you go through it with somebody who really is more mature than you are and can help you get through it. You can't do it by yourself. Individual spirituality is one of the greatest myths that even Martin Luther, 
the pioneer of the Reformation, he was adamant that we have to do this in community. And the problem is it's this community. <laughs> you, you know, you know and, and some people go around looking for the right community. They keep looking, they keep searching. Oh, this, these people are better than those people. And the problem is you're probably trying to get around the wall. And the Lord's just not going to let you do that. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be on your 15th church. And I meet people all the time who, you know, that's, I can always tell people that are running, trying to run around the wall when they come up to me. I go, I, I don't, I just say, well, Lord, I hope you can park them here so they can get operated on. <laughs> After the wall, we have the inner life development, I. D-I-S-C-I, the sci, the inner life. This is the part that is probably the most important first stage of what I would call really growing deeper in the Lord. And here's something that did not surprise me because it exactly happened at when I, when I by the way, this, this teaching was shared with all of the Antioch lead pastors, senior pastors, at our summer meeting. And Scott Lycan and I were sitting there, and we are the two oldest pastors in the entire movement by quite a bit. We have a lot of... And you could hear the questions of all the younger guys as if, well, what do you mean I'm going to hit it when I'm 40? Because... Uh, the presenters were sharing that this is tip, the big, big wall in most people's life happens somewhere between the age of 35 and 45. They have a huge crisis of faith, and that wall, if they don't get through it, they never get to developing a deep inner life in the Lord. I want you to notice the next, I'm going to wrap this up because I want to study these later. The power of a, I want you to notice this, spirit-led life, not a spirit-filled life. Spirit-filled life happens over here in service and ministry. You start discovering your gifts. You find out that you do have a gift of healing, or you, you have a gift of helps, or you have a gift of miracles, or you have a gift of prophecy, or you have a gift of wisdom or a gift of discerning of spirits, or you have a gift to preach or teach. Whatever you're, you begin to discover that gift, those are spirit-imbued gifts, and you are amazed that God can use you that way. And you love it, and it's enjoyable, but it's still ultimately external. So here's these devotion to Jesus, identity, service, I'm going to call those the external developments. Now, that doesn't mean something's not going on inside. <laughs> we had a bunch of children here today, and all of those children are learning things. And you know why your kids know who they are? Because of who you are. They are getting 
secondary identity. That's, that's true of all young. That, that's part of the whole growth process. And part of what we're going to be unpacking over the next several weeks is how we move to a deep, deep inner life powered by spirit-led life, not just a spirit-empowered life. And then we start doing what we all know is the ultimate, is learning how to really love. Not in theory, but where the people that hate you, you love. And when they demonstrate their hatred of you, you actually emote the love that you don't have to, by faith, conjure. You actually feel it. So that ultimately you enter into Christ-likeness. And that's the last D, and that's the goal, folks. Jesus was like the Father. So Christ-likeness is like Father-likeness, too. What you and I, the goal that we have, the goal that this church has, the goal that I have for every single soul in this room is that you will, by the way, this is a lifetime. I, I feel like the Lord's been t- teaching me that there, there's probably a major wall that I'll have to go through in my life as I get older. And my body stops doing all the things that I wish it would do. And I can handle that great with rejoicing or I can complain. And, and you see, I feel like the Lord said, I want you to start writing about this now over the next several years. Because I feel like, guess where the mothers and fathers come from? It's most of us that have gotten our tails kicked over and over again by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we can finally say, I don't think that's going to work. And you know what? The good thing about it is we don't feel like we have to make anybody do anything either because we know that doesn't work either. Some of you young people, discipling younger people, you want to make them obey God. Can I just say something to you? You don't get to choose where you are on this path. And in fact, I would like to, for us to explore where you may be on this. I would like to suggest that so many of us are way, we're, we're not as far along as we, we, actually, we, we haven't gotten to the Grand Tetons yet. We haven't gotten there yet. We want to be. If you can understand the top of the puzzle, maybe, just maybe, when all hell is breaking loose around your life, when it feels like your, your dog doesn't even like you, can it get any worse than that? When your dog doesn't like you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we 
do want to enter in. We, we do not want to stay stuck. We don't want to camp out. We don't want to live in futility. Lord, we don't want to regress. We don't want to backslide. But more importantly, we don't want to just enjoy the fact that we're going to heaven, but we're not bringing heaven to earth. We're not causing our own internal world and the own internal landscape to change. Lord, I just pray right now that every person in this room would set their heart on sojourn, as the psalm says. I have set my heart on pilgrimage, to be a pilgrim. Lord, for every person that feels like they're stuck and they haven't really, they've stagnated and they've, they've not really advanced in years, Lord, I just pray that you would show them what the next steps through the wall really is. It could be just a little step in the right direction. Lord, we thank you that no matter where we are on this journey, you love us immeasurably and unqualified. We are your children. We've been redeemed. We're not trying to get favor with you. We're not trying to get salvation with you. We want to grow up in all things. Even to the image of of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Lord, that this, this little church would be a church that is filled with people that are growing in their deep inner life and they're becoming real lovers of the haters. And we start looking just like you. That's my prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name.